one thing that unites all of us here. There's one thing that separates us actually from the animal kingdom. There is one thing that afflicts us all to a greater or lesser degree. It's this. It's a sense of guilt or failure. And probably the older you are here this evening, the greater that burden will be. And look, you know what I'm talking about. There are areas of your life that actually you would like to keep hidden from everyone. There are things that you have done or said or thought that you just wish you could blot out from your mind. You feel guilt. In fact, if you don't feel this, if you are sitting here saying, no, I'm sorry, Andy, that is a totally alien emotion to me, then could I say there's something seriously wrong with you? There is a diagnosis of your condition. You'd be diagnosed as either a sociopath or a psychopath. We are expected to be those who understand guilt and that sense of failure. For the truth is this, we're all failures here. That's what unites us as we gather in Charlotte Chapel's building this evening. We're all failures. And the wonder is the Bible that we're looking at is littered with fallen heroes. Whether that's people like Noah or David or Solomon or Jonah or Peter or a hundred others, as you read the Bible's story, they are failures. And near the front of that list stands the great father of the Jewish people, Abraham himself. Although he is rightly revered as a great man of faith, he's also revealed as being foolish and fallible as people like us. And that's clearly seen in Genesis chapter 20 that was read to us earlier. So maybe you'd like to have that open there on page 20 for chapter 20. Let me give you the background to this chapter. The background is that Abraham has moved from the region he's been camping in. So do remember that this guy is a nomad. He's been camping in a particular area for the last 20 years, but he is now staying near a place called Gera, which is located in the southeast corner of Canaan. Now, we've no idea why he moved there. Maybe news of the destruction of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah has marked Abraham out as a man to be feared. Or maybe just incoming tribes were limiting his pasture land. We don't know. We are not told. But whatever the reason, he's taking it into his own hands to look after his family. Now, although God has promised him that he will have a son born within a year, he still makes this decision without apparently seeking what God would have him do. You see, he takes things into his own hands. His faith wavers. He trusts in his own wisdom, his own strategies, 
rather than relying upon God. And the thing is, he's actually done something like this before. We're not going to read it, but even if you wanted to scan back to Genesis chapter 12, he did exactly the same thing. There was a time of famine, and God had given him promises about the land and that he would look after him. But again, Abraham took things in his hands, and he left the land that God had promised him. And we read in Genesis 12 that he traveled down into Egypt. And again, he tried to pass off his wife as his sister and the same problems that we are reading about in Genesis 20, they are there in Genesis 12. You see, in the passage we are looking at, he repeats the same mistakes. And his lack of faith is compounded by the lies that he tells. Just as in Genesis 12, he told Pharaoh that Sarah was his sister rather than his wife. Now in this place called Gerah, Abraham repeats the same excuse and he faces the same consequence. He tells the king there. Now, uh, you'll see this king had the name Abimelech and if you read the Old Testament, you'll find a few Abimelechs. You think, goodness me, this guy gets around. Uh, actually, Abimelech literally just means my dad was king. It's a sort of a generic title. Okay, so you've got Abimelech, my dad was king. Uh, but he does the same with Abimelech as he did with Pharaoh. He tells the same lies and he faces the same problem because, once again, his wife disappears. Sarah is taken from him and she's put into a harem. Now, let's be honest. All this stuff about kings in the Middle East who lived 4,000 years ago can sound pretty obscure and irrelevant. This is hardly 21st century Britain that we're looking at. These marriage customs sound about as interesting as, I don't know, abstract algebra. If you're into abstract algebra, if there is such a thing, I have no idea. Um, forgive me. Uh, but this probably sounds so vague and obscure. What on earth has this got to do with the situations that you and I will be facing tomorrow? 21st century, modern city like Edinburgh. Well, the point is that although we do some things very differently today, that's for sure, actually people don't change we still go on making the same mistakes. We have failures in faith. We don't trust God all the time. We take things into our own hands. We suffer the consequences for our own stupidity. We fail to honor and glorify God by trusting him completely. And that's why this ancient story of Abraham has immediate relevance for God's people today. As we learn the lessons that he, Abraham, needed to learn then. Actually, that's why Paul tells us this in Romans 15 verse 4. He says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. That's why we, we're looking at this. That's why we believe the word of God is, is relevant. God speaks. So let's draw out six lessons from this chapter before us. Now, maybe when I say six, you're going, oh no. Uh, I hope we'll, we'll 
keep within uh, acceptable uh, time frames here. But let me say six things that emerge. Number one, faith failures happen. Faith failures happen. Uh, and I think there have probably been a number of occasions during this past year when you failed to trust God in particular situations. It certainly happened to me. Maybe it was about your finance or about your health or, or about your future. And you grew anxious and you looked at things from a purely human perspective. You, you didn't rely on God. You saw the problem and, and you began to worry and you started working out what you're going to do in that particular situation. Or, or maybe the issue actually was in the realm of your behavior. Maybe you thought the world would give you the things that you wanted rather than God. You, you looked to the world. Maybe you rejected God's way in favor of your own. Maybe God had spoken to you through his word and you knew you should do something, but you decided, no, I know better. Maybe you rejected God's way. Maybe all that talk of trusting God completely sounded too super spiritual and, and vague. You know, it's just what these people at the front of a church say. Trust God, what does that mean? I'm going to do my thing. And actually, probably, of course, like Abraham, you're experiencing the consequences of your own actions. But look, just stop. Look, take heart. The Christian faith isn't about plaster model saints who are so different from ourselves. Sundays are not an exercise in guilt development. The Bible is an honest book full of real people who have real faith failures all the great heroes of faith are recorded as messing up in one way or another so my friends you are no different from them this is what happens this is part of the spiritual battle that we're engaged in you may think that you're sitting next to some one of the spiritual super saints of charlotte chapel but let me tell you if you were to say to them have your has your faith ever failed have you repeated mistakes they will say oh boy yeah that's absolutely true now, look, I don't say these things to encourage you in your sin and in your disobedience, but rather I say these things to remind you that the struggles you're facing in your Christian life, because I am addressing Christians here at this moment, the struggles that you're facing in your Christian life are the same that every one of God's people experience. And we need this warning from God's word to keep our eyes fixed on him and to avoid the world's seducing charms. Remember the warning that Paul gave Christians who thought they were doing okay, who thought they were strong enough to resist temptation. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12. If you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. You see, that's what's that's what happens for those of us who are trusting in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It doesn't suddenly make us these super saints who, who are never going to go wrong. We fail time after time. We wrestle with our hearts. Stuff comes up and we do it again and we do it again. And we don't trust God in his grace and mercy. The second point I want to make is this. Faith failures often occur on existing fault lines. Faith Failures often occur 
on existing fault lines. You see, Abraham made the same mistake in Gerah that he had in Egypt. He resorted to half-truths to deceive someone and to keep himself safe. It seems this was a particular weakness with the man. It seems he'd never really fully faced up to the failure in Egypt. The mistakes he made in Genesis 12, it seemed maybe he'd never confessed them. He'd never recognized them for the sin that they were. And so under pressure, you see, it resurfaces again. These problems, the same issue. And if I was to conduct a straw poll amongst us this evening, I think it's more than likely that each Christian here could identify at least one major problem that keeps bringing them down time after time. For some, it'll be pride. For others, it'll be self-image. For others, it'll be to do with their position. For others, it will be with lust. For others, it will be about possessions, and so on, and so on. The list goes on. And my friends, you know what I'm talking about. You actually do know the area where you fail most often. That's what's going through your mind just at this moment. You know where you find it hardest to trust God's word and to obey God's command. And the danger is that we begin to imagine that, look, that's just how it is. We almost begin to anticipate the next failure thinking that we have no defenses against the, com- the coming attack, thinking that we're bound to fail because we always do fail. And rather than face up to the area of weakness and see the sin for what it really is before the eyes of God, at times the danger is we can take pleasure in the memory of it and find ways of excusing our weakness. You know, well, that's just how I am. That's just how I'm made. It's, it's just me. Um, I'm old enough for many things, but I'm, I'm old enough to be a great fan of many of the Hammer horror films. Back in the 70s, and you see how old I was, back in the 70s, on a Friday night, they used to always show the Hammer House of Horror or Hammer films. It, they were great. I, I loved the bad acting. I, I loved the fake sets. I loved the ridiculous stories. By the way, I'm not giving the whole series a complete uh, clear bill of health here. You know, let the reader beware. There are some ones, some films that you should avoid. But look, I knew enough of the Hammer House of Horror to know how to deal with Dracula. If ever I was faced uh, with Dracula, I knew that if I wanted to kill Dracula to do away with him, it wasn't enough to shoot him or stab him or poison him or even shut him in a coffin and nail it down. That wasn't going to be enough because he would only come back again, especially if he had a sniff of human blood. And for some reason in these films, blood got dripped in these areas and he suddenly came up. No, if you wanted to deal with Dracula, you had to drive... and. and This is quite technical, so forgive me. Uh, But you had to drive a wooden stake through his heart, cut off his head with silver knives, and stuff his mouth full of garlic. It was serious work if you wanted to kill Dracula. And the trouble is, so many of us fail to really 
kill off our favorite sins. We may think that we've dealt with them, but the reality is that they come back to haunt us. No. We need to deal with them far more seriously. We need to bring them into the open. We need to see them for what they are in the sight of God. We need to confess them before him. Could I say this? We need to get accountable with others. We need to take whatever steps are required to ensure that they will not rise up and destroy our joy and discredit our witness. You see, faith failures often occur on existing fault lines. Thirdly, faith failures compromise witness and blessing. Faith failures compromise witness and blessing. You see, after God had revealed to Abimelech that Sarah was actually Abraham's wife and that Abraham had lied to him, Abimelech summons Abraham before him and all his officials. And we read this. In verses 8 to 9, early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials. And when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should not be done. Now, look, it seems that Abimelech was a pagan, but he was a pagan who acted more honorably than Abraham. And Abraham was the man who professed to be the servant of the living God. And how shameful that Abraham should be exposed as a liar before others. See, Abraham now could hardly talk about the holy character of the living God when he himself, Abraham, had been clearly exposed as a cheat. See, this is the man, Abraham, who is supposed to be a blessing to the whole world. And yet here he is, convicted of hypocrisy and the cause of infertility that was afflicting Abimelech's family. And let me say this, sadly, I think the good news of the gospel has so often been compromised by the inconsistency of Christians. The very news that the world needs to hear is silenced by the foolishness of those who profess to know it. And it may be that there are friends, colleagues, fellow students of yours who will never hear the gospel message from your lips because you're compromised by your behavior. They just won't believe it. They'll throw back your inconsistencies in your face. My friends, this is serious. This affects gospel witness. This affects gospel life. If you are here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, remember this, your behavior, your life, is what commends that gospel to others, not just the words that you speak. One goes hand in hand with the other. Faith failures compromise witness and blessing. But fourthly, faith failures cannot prevent God's blessing. Faith failures cannot prevent God's blessing. We need to remember the big picture of what's going on in Abraham's life at this moment. The big story that we're looking at is that God had promised to make him a blessing to the whole world through his descendants that God was going to give him. The problem was that he and Sarah were childless. And actually, they had remained childless for over 
20 years since God had promised them that they were going to have kids. But God had been making his promise even more specific. And as we've been working our way through Genesis, we noticed in chapters 17 and 18 that the Lord again met with Abraham and he told him, Abraham, it's happening. This next year, the long-awaited child is going to be born to Sarah. Now, it is in that time frame that Abraham goes to Gerah and Sarah enters Abimelech's harem. So can you see the problem here? Can you see how any future pregnancy, the baby that Sarah was going to have, might be attributed to Abimelech and not to God's promise? Can, Can you see how it would appear that Abraham had messed up everything that God had promised? But God so overrules in what happens that there is no doubt that the child soon to be conceived is none other than Abraham's. Abimelech makes a public declaration of Sarah's innocence and the infertility experienced by all within his household is then dealt with. In other words, God doesn't allow the failure of Abraham to knock his purposes off course. And yet, there will be some here who still think just that. You think, you think that because of failure in your life, as you're thinking about some of the stuff you've done, and maybe stuff that you really feel, oh, goodness me, why did I do that? You think that because of some of these failures in your life that you have disabled the purposes of God. That because of sin in some particular area, God's had to put his plans on hold. God's sitting in heaven going, oh dear me, I had so much planned for them, but, but look at what they've done. Oh dear, we just, just have to wait, have to go to plan B. My friends, that reveals such a low view of God. And it reveals such a weak grasp of Scripture. The eternal God has always been working out his plan since time began and our failings have never taken him by surprise nor have they made him alter course. He will glorify his name. He will vindicate his cause. He will save all his people. Faith failures can't prevent God's blessing, which leads us, fifthly, to faith failures don't disqualify God's servants. Faith failures don't disqualify God's servants. I just love the way that the Lord responds to Abimelech's complaint. It's there in verses 6 to 7. Then God said to him in the dream, Yeah, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I've kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife. For he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all yours will die. (laughs) You see, I I can imagine how easy it would have been for the Lord to tell Abimelech. Because Abimelech's saying, God, it's Abraham's fault. You can imagine the Lord saying, well, yeah, I know, Abraham's a a real screw-up, and I'm pretty disappointed in him. But actually, instead of that, He tells Abimelech that this failure, Abraham, was nothing less than a prophet. Actually, this is the first time the word is used in the Bible. 
He is a prophet. And God says he would not only speak his words, God's words, to men, he would also be the one who speaks to God on their behalf. What an honor, what a privilege. Here is the failure and and God is saying, I'm going to use him, I'm going to take him. You see, our failures of faith don't disinherit, disinherit us from God's family. Once we've been rescued by God's grace, then nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from his love. See, our salvation isn't dependent upon what we do. Our salvation has always been dependent upon what God himself has already done for us by giving Jesus to be our saviour and redeemer. Could I say, if you're here and you're not a Christian, this is what gets us excited. We have a saviour who paid the price completely. That's why we glory in the cross. That's why Calvary is so special to us. Why Jesus... God incarnate, dying on a cross 2,000 years ago, was the very focal point of world history. And there on that cross, the Lord Jesus Christ took the, the punishment, the wrath, the anger that was rightly due his people, rightly due folks like us. And Jesus took that and gives to his people his obedience. That same Jesus who died on that cross rose again on the third day victorious over sin and death and hell. That is our glory. And although our sin may affect the nature of how we serve the Lord, the point is it doesn't disqualify us from usefulness. It didn't from, for Abraham. It didn't for Moses. It didn't for David. It didn't for Jonah. And it didn't for the apostle Peter. These are some of the great men of God who sinned terribly. But God takes them up and uses them mightily. My Christian brother, my Christian sister, God still has work for you to do. It's, it's not as if you're some sort of dead weight You know, you're just going to see out your years until Jesus comes. It's not as if you have useless to God stamped across your forehead. The wonderful truth is that God has work for each one of us failures here. You may be here and you may say, well, look at these people. They're so gifted and God will use them greatly. But Andy, if you knew the sort of person I am, if you knew the privileges I've abused, if you knew what I've done, you would just, you would wash your hands with me and I'm sure God's washed his hands with me. And I'm just spending out my time. I'm looking forward to going to heaven, but God can't use me because of my sin. My friends, you do not understand the grace of God. You do not understand the wonderful message of the gospel. You do not understand the teachings of the Bible. Because God is able to use faith failures like, like you, like me. Final point is this, point six. Faith failures teach new lessons about grace. Faith failures teach new lessons about grace. You see, Abimelech responded to God's warnings and he showed great generosity and kindness to Abraham and Sarah. And Abraham responded by praying to God on Abimelech's behalf. We read this in verses 17 to 18. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his slave girls so they could have children again. For the Lord had closed up every womb in Abimelech's household because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. I wonder, do you see the beautiful irony of what's happening here? 
Abraham and Sarah have been infertile for many years. It's been 20, 21 years since God had said to them, you're going to have a child, but they've been infertile all this time. And that's something that's caused them enormous heartache and anxiety. If you have known the heartache of infertility, there's probably very little like it. The pain, the depths, the waiting, the disappointment. And although God had promised them a child, they are still waiting. And now Abraham ends up being the means whereby the infertility of others might now be dealt with. It's as if the Lord is gently reminding Abraham that these issues that appear so big to Abraham and Sarah, them having a kid, are all within his power and control, that that he can be trusted, that he can be relied on. And so often the Lord will gently take our failures of faith and so work out his purposes that we grasp afresh his amazing love and his glorious purposes, even from people like us. Now, I don't know where you're coming from this evening. Maybe some of you, but not most of you. I don't know the trials that you're facing. I I don't know the mistakes that you've made. I'm not aware of where your faith has failed. I, I don't know where disobedience has kicked in in your Christian life. But I do know this. The God who so graciously has saved and rescued sinners like us is the same God who goes on working out his good purposes in the lives of failures. You see, we're not to despair. Rather, with renewed determination and hope, we're to go on living by faith, trusting in his infinite power, leaning on his glorious grace, resting in his perfect wisdom, and glorying in his magnificent love. You may have come into this place saying, oh, I'm just going to go through the motions. I hope some of the music makes me happy, but I'm, I'm just a failure. I've had a really bad week. I've sinned. I've done it again. I want you to go out of here saying, we serve a glorious God who is in control who's in charge of all things, who is working out his purposes, who takes screw-ups and for his glory uses people like you and even a failure like me. Let's pray.